Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant, and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land and young camels of Midian and Ephah, and, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kadar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. Who are these that fly along the clouds like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me, In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and the kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut, day or night, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will utterly be ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine and the the fir and the cypress together, to adorn the place of my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place of my feet. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet. And will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Although you have been forsaken and hated, with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze, and iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor, and righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. The sun will no longer be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your moon. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then will all your people be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot that I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. 
In its time, I will do this swiftly. Father, we, we come before you. There is nothing that is too difficult for you. There is nothing your hand cannot accomplish. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear what your servant Reed would speak. I pray you will touch his lips. And Lord, may we be receptive to what you would say to, to us today. May you bless him and may you bless us, Father, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I used to sleep downstairs in a bed by myself. And we had an old record player there by the bed. And I used to play a song almost every night when I went to sleep. It was called Bright New World. It was an old Ralph Carmichael Christian song. And I'm going to read the words to it for you. It says, Someday a bright new wave will break upon the shore, and there will be no sickness, no more crying, no more war. And little children never will grow hungry anymore. And there will be a bright new morning over there. There will be a bright new world for us to share. Someday there will be an end to unkind words and cruel. And the man who said there is no God will know he is a fool. And peace will be the way of life with love, the only rule. And there will be a bright new morning over there. There will be a bright new world for us to share. Someday we know not when the time on earth is done. And those redeemed from every land will all become as one. Voices of all ages praising God, the three in one. And there will be a bright new morning over there. There will be a bright new world for us to share. You know, that song came to my mind and to my heart as I read and studied Isaiah chapter 60. And that's basically what Isaiah is telling the people of God in this chapter. That there is a bright new world coming. You know, when we turn on the evening news, uh, we see Islamic terrorism advancing around the world uh, in our own country. We, we live under the constant threat of terrorist attacks. I read an article, I believe it was in maybe even, even in the USA Today paper while we were gone this week, that said that we live as a nation in a, in a constant state of national emergency. Christians are fleeing for their lives in Iraq. Westerners and Christians have been or being beheaded, as we've all seen and heard. Our own government seems increasingly inept at dealing with the problems of our own country and the world. On the moral front, those who promote uh, immoral lifestyles and immorality seem to be winning every judicial battle seem to be winning on every front. In our own personal lives, uh, we all struggle with problems and frustrations of different sorts. Certainly not the same for everybody, but we all struggle with problems and frustrations at work or in our home, perhaps in our marriages or with our children or in our finances. Um, many of us uh, battle effects of aging or illness. We deal with loss of loved ones. And yet all through the Bible, the God of the Bible calls us to step out of our present circumstances. He calls us to, in a sense, step out of the present and to step into the future. He calls us to have a vision 
of the future, to keep a vision of the future before us, a vision of the final victory of the Lord and of his people. In Isaiah chapter 60, and really much of the rest of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah proclaims this future glory that God has in store for his people. Isaiah proclaims this new world that is coming. And he tells the people of God to live in joy and to live in hope because of this reality. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Be excited about this. There are great things in store for you. Now, Isaiah, was, he was a man like us. I mean, he, he saw and he understood the realities around him. He saw the reality of his people, the Jews in captivity in Babylon. He saw Israel's present humiliation. He saw Jerusalem's destruction. He saw the desolation of the land. But he also sees a glorified people. He sees a glorious city. He sees Jerusalem glorified. He sees a glorious future with, comp- with prosperity, with peace and security for the people of God. And we are to live that way too. We are called, this is not just an Old Testament thing. Uh, the prophecies of this future glory begin certainly in the Old Testament, but they carry all the way through to the very book, end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And this is, this is not just like a side issue that maybe it would be good if uh, some people think about once in a while. No, this is an absolutely core issue for the people of God to have their eyes and their vision focused on the future glory, the final victory of God and his people. This is really the heart of the gospel. Many people, you think of the gospel, which, I mean, the gospel is good news, right? It means that Jesus came to die for our sins, to take our sins upon him, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And the gospel is good news because of that. But in a sense, that is the beginning of what God does. The beginning of what God does is wash away your sins, uh, make you justified, accepted in his sight, which is wonderful, great news. But the end of the gospel is this glory, this future glory that God has in store for his people. So the, so the gospel is good news not only because Jesus forgives our sin, but because of the glorious end to which he is bringing you and us. So the gospel begins with a call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope all of you have done that. If you haven't done that, I invite you to do that this morning. But the end of that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the most fantastic thing that your heart can imagine. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, and the final outworking of that in your life and in the world really is the solution to everything. The gospel solves all the problems of mankind, all the problems of the world, all of your problems. All, the, all that is wrong about life is solved by the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ solves the problem of sin, the sorrow problem, the depression problem, the injustice problems of life, the poverty problems, the problem of evil and Satan, the problems of death. 
And the gospel of Jesus Christ solves all those things because it brings us ultimately to a place of perfection, of completeness, of wholeness, a place of the fulfillment of all of our longings and hopes and dreams. There is not one problem, not one pain, not one sorrow that you've ever had or ever will have that the gospel is not the final solution to it. Those who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ are destined for everlasting joy, everlasting peace, everlasting rest, everlasting perfection, everlasting glory, and everlasting love. And that is why Paul said, after he talked about, in Romans 5.1, about we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, having been justified through faith in Him. He says, and so we now, what, what do we do now that we're justified? We hope in the glory of God. We exult or we rejoice, we wildly rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Of God, because that He sees now that we're saved, we see our destiny. We see what out is, it is out of, in front of us. For the first time, we begin to get a grasp on our future and the glory of it and the victory of it, and so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And you you may say, well, hey, I you know I'm, I don't experience all that yet. You know my my life is mundane. It's tough. It's hard. I'm in a fight? Yes. But we have received the promise of this. We have, we have received the assurance of this. We have received, as it were, the deed to the house. We have received the deed to the kingdom. We have the assurance, the hope. We know where we are going. We know what the outcome is, and we rejoice in it. So I want you to, to just go with me where Isaiah goes, takes us this morning. I want you to step out of your present life, and I, I want you to, to step into this future world that Isaiah tells us about, and that, that really that all of Scripture tells us about. Imagine a world where all the peoples and the nations and the kings honor God where everyone clearly recognizes the Lord as the Lord, where every knee will bow to Jesus Christ, where God's people are honored and exalted and who and rule and reign, not being despised or persecuted, where people are streaming, flocking, not to a rock concert or to a football stadium, but to the house of the Lord. Or instead of people, people being uninterested in the gospel, multitudes flock to the city of God. Imagine a world where the meek inherit and rule the, the earth. Where the weakest believer becomes a mighty band and the most humble person becomes a nation. Where those who have been faithful in the smallest things will rule over ten cities. Where the righteous are exalted. This is the destiny of God's people. This is where we are headed. Imagine a world where instead of Jews rejecting Christ, they are for the most part all saved. Romans 11.25, Josh referred to last week, said, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so, or then, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, a deliverer will come from Zion, Jesus he will turn godlessness away from Jacob, meaning the Jews. This is my covenant with them 
when I take away their sins. All Israel does not necessarily mean every Jewish person, but a very large number, or at least a vast majority. And God says that will happen. Imagine a world where instead of nations seeking to destroy the Jews, they love them and want to help them. Imagine a world instead of, where instead of trying to annihilate Jerusalem, they help with its construction. All of this is described in the world that Isaiah sets before us here in Isaiah chapter 60. When these promises were made to Israel as a country, as a nation, as a people, they are humiliated, they are living as captives, they are impoverished, they are, they are insignificant. I mean, they are like the poster child for the word insignificant. They are the furthest thing in the world from being important or having worldwide influence. They are scorned and pitied. They've experienced destruction. Jerusalem was in ruins. They're living in a state of sorrow. But God comes to them and said, The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. God comes to them and describes their destiny. And if if you caught at all what David read as, as he was going through this chapter, it tells of unspeakable glory and riches and honor and security for God's people. They're not told when these things will take place or exactly how they will take place, but they are given this hope, this assurance, this expectancy that they will take place and that they are to live in hope because of that. I know there are different ways that this uh, chapter and these types of promises are interpreted, whether there, there will be a more literal fulfillment to the Jewish people in the coming uh, millennial kingdom, or if this is more symbolically fulfilled. But it will be fulfilled. Everything in this chapter in God's way will and time will be fulfilled. I mean, he, he finishes the chapter by saying that, I am the Lord and I will make this happen in it's time. Now, the context of these promises, I believe, is given at the end of, of Isaiah 59, where it says, The Redeemer will come to Zion. He puts on his helmet of salvation, his breastplate of righteousness, and his garments of vengeance. That's Isaiah 59, 17 through 20. That, to me, is the language the Bible uses for the second coming of Christ. So I take it that these things have their final fulfillment at the end of this present age, when Jesus comes again and sets up his kingdom on earth. We're just going to go through these. We'll start with verse 1. not going to cover every single verse. We'd be here till, till middle afternoon. Um, but we're just going to go through this, and I want, you to, 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 I want you to imagine this world. I want you to dream. I want you to grasp this world and the future that God has for us. Verse 1, Arise and shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Zion, the city of God, and Jerusalem, and the people of God are commanded to rise and shine. Rise and shine like the morning sun on a cloudless day. God said, Arise, be exalted, be raised up. My glory is upon you. Be lifted up. I have a different plan for you. I have a different future for, for you than what you are presently experiencing. 
I have a different plan for you than, than being downtrodden and held captive like you're presently experiencing. I have a plan for you to be exalted, for, the glory, for my glory to be upon you. And that's true for you too. God's plan for you, ultimately, and this, all of Scripture makes this clear, and even through the book of Revelation, God's plan for you is to lift you up, to exalt you, to cause you to reign with Jesus Christ, to raise you up out of your sin and sorrow, and to place his glory upon you. And the scripture says, certainly we do suffer now, but it is so that we may be glorified with him later. And this ability to rise and shine is not, is not anything inherent within us. It comes from the glory of the Lord. It is because the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And again, God spoke this word to his people Israel, but in no le- less sense has he spoken to you. And he says to you, arise and shine. For your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Uh, the study note in the ESV Bible says, The bright future of God's people calls for cheerful expectancy now by faith. In other words, arise and shine now by faith. For the glory of the Lord appears over you. Certainly there's a prophetic sense to this, and then we don't experience it all now. It's coming, but there's a sense in which the glory of the Lord is upon you, And the fulfillment of this and the final outworking of this is going to be so amazing. Do you think of yourself as a person who has the glory of the Lord upon you? You should. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And that will be fully seen and revealed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Romans, Paul said, all of creation groans, eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. I mean, it's like when we burst forth with the, with, and, the, and everything, all of creation sees the, 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 the total or the fullness of the glory of God upon us. Uh, it, it, it will be amazing. And all of creation is eagerly waiting for this revealing of the glory of the sons of God. Verse 2, see, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. So Isaiah just contrasts the deep darkness of the world with the glory of the Lord upon God's people. The world always has been, the world is, and the world always will be until Jesus Christ returns in darkness. The world is a place of darkness. The world is in spiritual darkness, but upon you, the glory of the Lord rises. To be a Christian is the greatest honor in the world. The glory of the Lord himself rises upon you. His glory appears over you. You do not need to long after the prizes that the world offers. You do not need to look out your window, so to speak, at what other people have. You do, not, you do not need to envy the glamour and glitz of the world. You have the glory of the Lord upon you, and the outworking of that will be fantastic. Verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawning or your rising. God's purpose for Israel was to bring the world to himself, and this verse says that that will happen. Many places in the Bible talk about nations going up to Jerusalem to honor 
the Lord, the King, and to learn his ways. Just for example, Micah 4, one. it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains, and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Fantastic. When Isaiah wrote these words, shame was heaped upon God's people. God predicts a great reversal of this. All the prophets saw a time, they saw a coming kingdom when the Messiah would reign upon this earth from Jerusalem. The Messiah would rule over over all the nations. And he would crush evil. And that God's people would be saved and restored. And that multitudes would come. Great spiritual conversion would sweep across the nations. Nations would flock to Israel for the light of the Messiah upon them. Verse 4, lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons from afar and your daughters will be carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. I mean, these are, these are just descriptions of the incredible things that God will do for his people. They're d- descriptions of the incredible joy and praise that will swell up when, in God's people when these things happen. You know, if, if you can't seem to smile today, I mean, if you can't seem to laugh today, you know, here's a, prob- here's a promise that you will. You will soon. I mean, I love this. You will look and be radiant And your heart will throb and swell with joy. That's in your future. That's what God has planned for you. That's the kind of incredible uh, euphoria and joy and perfection uh, that God has planned for you. That's the kingdom of God. That's whether that's the the the, uh, millennial kingdom or the, the new heavens and the new earth, all of it. All of heaven, when Christ comes for us, is going to be with incredible joy. Um, the, the wealth of the seas will be, will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. You will, you will never have financial problems or pressures in the coming kingdom. Verse 10, foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Your gates will stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that men may bring you the wealth of the the nations. Their kings led in triumphal procession. Fantastic promises. God's people will receive incredible blessing and wealth. And the city of God will be the center of all the action. You know, right now, worldly activities or worldly things are kind of the center of of the action in this world. But we're, we're sort of on the side. Uh, the kingdom of God, uh, we're, we're, we're sort of the, we're the outcasts. But in that day, worldly things will not be the center. The city of God will be the center of all the actions. This promise, you know, unless you think this is just some sort of obscure Old Testament promise, it's repeated by uh, John in Revelation twenty one twenty four, it says, The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the heavenly city of God. On no day will its gates be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Almost a word for repeat of this promise in Isaiah. 
I don't know exactly what this will look like. I, mean, I can't sit here and describe exactly in detail how that's all going to work out, but it's, these are amazing things. And one thing it makes perfectly clear, there will be a day when God puts down all rebellion and when he and his people and his city is the center of everything and there will be peace and prosperity forever for God's people. Verse 14 says, says, the sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is just saying the nations and groups that have hated and oppressed Jerusalem will someday say, this is the city of the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. I mean, can you imagine all of Israel's enemies throughout history, even presently, the Syrians, Iranians, coming and bowing down before Israel, saying, this is the city of God. This is the one true God. They recognize the God of Israel. God said, those who have despised you will come and bow at your feet. What a promise. What a promise. What a promise for those of you here this morning who've been rejected or who have been hated or have been regarded as outcasts in some way, in any way. God will change things. Those who have despised you will come and bow at your feet. Verse 15, although you have been forsaken and hated, I will make you the everlasting pride and joy of all generations. Again, those who hated you will come and show you ultimate respect. Instead of being rejected, and as we sometimes feel in our day, regarded as, as, as ignorant and uh, n- not intellectual enough or naive uh, or hated just for our beliefs and, and our moral, moral convictions, that's not always going to be, be the case. God will not leave his people uh, oppressed or persecuted. God will exalt his people. Again, just a complete reversal of what we see and experience in this life. Verse 16, you will drink the milk of the nations. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I mean, when you see these things happen, when you see this, this, this glory coming upon you, when you see all that I'm going to do for you, then you will know who I really am. And, you know, we, we sing songs about how, you know, God is a mighty God. God is an awesome God. You know, it's one thing to just to say, you know, I, you know, I believe that God is a mighty God. But we're going to see some things someday and we'll say, you know, I always believe that God is a mighty God. Now I know God is a mighty God. And that's what Isaiah is telling them. These things I'm going to do for you, and then you will know that I am your Savior, your Redeemer. You'll know that I am the Mighty One of Israel. Verse 18, no longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin, nor destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The land and the city of God will be safe, and the people of God will dwell in complete safety, fearing nothing. Can you imagine? No enemies. Can you imagine living with no threat, no fear of any kind? Can you imagine living in a world 
of no one ever speaking against you or suing you or attacking you or hurting you in any way. That's, that's the kind of safety and security it will be in the kingdom of God. Verse 19, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine for you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Again, if you think this is just some obscure Old Testament verse, Revelation 21 tells us the exact same thing. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light and the Lamb is its light. You know, the most glorious thing that we know or see in this present physical world is what? The sun and the moon. The sun, brings war, the, the sun brings warmth to our lives. It brings, brings brightness to our lives. It brightens our emotions. You know, after, after a period of cloudy, rainy days, uh, you know, there's nothing like blue sky and sunshine. I mean, it's just, it's just so good. And God tells us that he himself will be the sunshine, the light, and the glory in that world that is coming, in that heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Revelation 22.5 says, they will not need the, la- the light of a lamp. I, I love that just because it, you know, it just kind of adds that little detail. You, know, you won't even need the light of a lamp. Just because the city of God will be so bright with the glory of God. There will be no other light. There will be no night. There will be no cloudy, dark days in the kingdom of God. And this speaks not only, I believe, to the, just the brightness of his glory, the physical, perhaps, brightness that we'll see but to the emotional brightness of heaven. All joy and no sorrow. All light and no darkness. And I love the last phrase in verse, verse 20. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. I mean, no more sorrow in the kingdom of God whatsoever. Verse 21, that all your people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. And again, I, I believe this is referring future tense to the same thing that Paul promised that I just read out of Romans 11, that there will be, God will save Israel. There will, the people of Israel will be uh, cleansed and turned to Jesus Christ, their Messiah. They will be forgiven. They will become, they will become righteous. They will, then will your, all your people be righteous and they will possess the land forever. And again, I believe this refers to the future kingdom. They are the shoot I have planted and the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. God saves people for his splendor, for his own splendor and glory. God chose his people Israel. They're, they're, he calls them the work of my hands. And they are for the display of his glory and they will be. When they are saved, it will show the mercy of God. Just as God saved us as Gentiles when we were in disobedience, he will save Israel from a state of disobedience and save them and, sh- and show his mercy, and it will display his splendor and glory. But I also believe God says the same to each of you. He says, you, you are the shoot which I have planted. You are the work of my hands. For the display of my splendor and glory. You know God chose you. And he made you like his little plant. That he planted. And you are his plant. 
for the purpose of his splendor. And God has a plan to show off his glory and his splendor in your life. Verse 22, the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. Did you hear that? I mean, we, I, again, I can't explain all these things. We can only wonder at the marvelous things God will do to fulfill this promise and all of these promises. But we know that somehow, someday, the small person of God will become great. And the lowly person who belongs to Jesus will be exalted. Those who ought to be honored will be honored. Jesus himself said in Revelation 2, 26, The one who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Some of you right here might be ruling over nations. I don't know. I don't understand all that that means. But it means that God's people will be exalted and honored and will have tremendous positions of, of of, of prestige and authority in the kingdom. You know, people who imagine heaven as some, some boring place of just inactivity or perhaps sitting on a cloud playing a harp forever, I mean, could, that, that image could not be further from the truth. The Bible speaks of us as ruling the nations, judging the angels, serving the Lord day and night, seeing the face of God, worshiping God, feasting on fantastic food, singing, rejoicing, loving God, and being eternally loved by Him. Heaven is a wonderful place. And then this this last phrase in this chapter I love, and it's so very important. He says, I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. So God is saying, there is a day appointed for the fulfillment of all these things, and nothing will stop that day from coming. God says, I will make it happen. I am directing all of history towards it. You know, God is not just waiting for favorable conditions so that maybe this might happen. He's not hoping this will happen. I mean, history is completely in his hands. And as he himself says, I am the Lord in its time. I am will do this swiftly. When Christ comes, when God sends Christ back to this world as king, and he will and he will come, you know, first he came as a meek and gentle savior, a baby in a manger, but he's coming back as king and ruler. Uh, he will solve all of the seemingly unsolvable problems of the world. And all the seemingly unsolvable problems of your life. Uh, The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. All that is wrong will be made right. All that is unjust will be made just. And just as God promised to right all wrongs uh, to his people, Israel, through Isaiah, so it will be with all of his people, including you and me. All right, I want to wrap up this morning with just a few brief applications. Uh, Certainly, I hope that you've taken application uh, from everything that we've said this morning, but I want to emphasize just a few things in closing. Uh, Number one, expect 
glory and honor to be in your future. Um, Because glory and honor is in your future. Don't count yourself ordinary or insignificant as a believer in Jesus Christ. Certainly, according to the flesh, we are, but not according to the work of God in our lives and the future and calling that we have. You are not ordinary or insignificant as a believer in Jesus Christ. The small of you, the smallest of you may manage ten cities. The weakest of you will judge the angels. Some here may rule over a group of people the size of a nation. And These things would be absolutely foolish and audacious to say if God had not told us these things. I mean, I'm telling you these things because God says these things. Though we appear very ordinary and we are in the flesh, you will do extraordinary things in the kingdom of God beyond what your wildest imagination. And why? Because God saved you and the glory of the Lord is upon you. And you are destined for glory and honor. And that's why Paul said, again, we exalt or we rejoice wildly in hope of this glory of God, of this glorious future. So believe contrary to all present circumstances and feelings and opinions of others that the glory of the Lord has risen upon you and you are destined for glory. Number two, practice living in hope. Or make every effort to live in hope. And as I said earlier, this hope in the future, this having this future vision of what God has for us, this is one of the most important qualities of the Christian life. It is not a peripheral issue. You know, Paul evaluated all of the churches based on three criteria. Their faith, their love, and their hope. Faith, hope, and love. Those are the three essential elements of the Christian life. Hope being one of them. So to cultivate and to build up your hope is is the essential duty of each of us as believers. Uh, An old Puritan by the name of Richard Baxter um, wrote a book called The Saints' Everlasting Rest. And he said in there that he firmly believed that every believer should set aside at least some time every day to contemplate these things. To contemplate heaven and the future glory and the rest, the joy of heaven. Paul was so focused on this future glory that he said, I do not consider the sufferings of my, the present time even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Is that how you are thinking about your life? If not, you, you, know, you need, might need a little adjustment to your mental outlook, your, thought, your thinking process. You're thinking that, hey, present suffering's not even worthy to, to be compared with the glory to be revealed. We must, I must, you must, we must lift our, li- lift our eyes regularly off of our present circumstances and fix our eyes on the hope that is coming. Fix our eyes on the glory that is coming upon us. And that's that's all that Isaiah was trying to do in this chapter, to get his people, Israel, in their forsaken, desolate condition to lift their eyes off of their present circumstances 
and to fix them on the hope of the glory that was coming. Number three. Don't take this wrong, in a wrong way, but, but don't be discouraged by how few, few people turn to Christ. I believe that there will be a great turning to the Lord in the future, around the time, coming of the Lord. I believe that Israel will turn to the Lord and be saved. And according to these prophecies, nations, whole nations are going to turn to the Lord in mass. Nations will recognize him as the Lord, the one true God, and will come to the light. So don't be discouraged that so many, many seem not to be interested in Christ. That will change. Number four, don't be discouraged by the progress of wickedness and evil in our present culture. One day, the people who love God and who love righteousness will inherit the earth. And holiness will be the dominant culture of the new world that is ushered in by Jesus Christ when he comes. All right, let's pray and uh, thank God for these things. Lord, we... We worship you as the coming king. We worship you for all that you have in store for your people. We worship you for these wonderfully glorious uh, promises that you have in store for your people. Lord, we, we ask you, God, for the grace for the help, for um, the work of your Spirit in causing us to lift up our eyes and to see our salvation. To lift up our eyes and see the end of our salvation. And, and to not be so stuck in our present and in what we see around us. Lord, we, we, we pray for the grace and the help of your Spirit to think every day about the future glory, to contemplate heaven, to, to contemplate being with you, of, of loving you and serving you and being exalted and glorified with you and being loved by you eternally and in a place of perfect joy and happiness and worship and praise forever. Lord, we, we ask you to, to help us fix our eyes on these things and to be a people who are filled with hope and who live in hope and who exude that in the way that we talk, um, in the countenance on our face, uh, and just the way that we live life. Thank you, Lord, for your, for your word, the, for your surprising and amazing word, Lord, that has more in store for us than we could think or imagine or could really has ever entered into our heart. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.